The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is my home base. Before we get into today's program, let me thank my media partner and sponsor, Jobbing.com. If you're not familiar with them, Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation. They are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard and giving job seekers control over their search so that they can find work close to home. I appreciate their partnership. Thank you, Jobbing. So since this, this show is really all about the world of work and how we connect to it, I wanted to consider some various ways that, though, that there's an impact on that equation, if you will. And this week is a bit different. And so it's just me flying solo. It's almost the end of the year, and I know many people, including myself, tend to become reflective and thoughtful about the year and how it went and what they want to see done differently maybe in the new year. So this is true of individuals as well as companies of like, alike. So I've prepared a little content about three main areas I want to talk about in our time together. In the first segment, I want to talk about the trend towards self-employment or additional site employment and how people are relying on various streams of income to pull that off. In the second segment, I want to talk about something I've been terribly fascinated with over the years, and that's the idea of androgyny and specifically how the gender revolution has been pushing toward changes in traditional gender roles and what that means for the future of work for everybody and at home as well for that matter. And then finally, in the last segment, I want to talk about three trends from the softer areas of leadership, development, and culture and engagement that were identified in Deloitte's 2015 Global Human Capital Trends Report. So with that, let's, let's get started here. Um, so for, again, for this first segment, I, I want to focus on intra- entrepreneurship, and that's something that we have talked about quite a bit on this show. And also the, this notion that several people are really engaging in various or multiple streams of income to pull that off. They're doing that both to satisfy their interest as well as to help offset some, some of the um, uncertain economy, if you will. So recall way back in 2002, good old Dan Pink, an author, he's one of my favorites, he wrote a book called Free Agent Nation, The Future of Working for Yourself. And in that, of course, he forecasted or prognosticated, if you want to say, that there would be an increase in entrepreneurship. And of course, we have seen that across um, all kinds of all kinds of venues, probably across the world, not just the United States. And so when you think about it, why do people become entrepreneurs? There's lots of reasons for it. And I want to give a few examples here that we've seen on this, this radio show this year to get you thinking about that. Maybe this is something you're considering for yourself. I talk to so many people who say, I want to do it, but I, I don't know if I can, or I don't know if it's time, I don't know if it's right for me. 
So when we think about some of the people that we met this year on the show, we can think about first, uh, one of our very first people we had on was a gentleman named Marty Ruiz. He came on in February, and if you remember and heard his show, he he was great, by the way. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. He is a full-time singer, and get this, his niche is in retirement homes. So what's fascinating about his story is here's a guy who had been an artist and various other things before in his lifetime, and he had been donating his time, volunteering at, at retirement homes to sing because he loved singing so much, and he loved the genre that, of songs that that particular group liked to listen to. It was perfect. And really what forced his hand to become an entrepreneur in that vein, singing in retirement homes, is that he actually had to declare bankruptcy, and so he had to find a way to make money. So really, he went back to those retirement homes and said, hey, remember me, Marty, you, you love me, I, I, I was just there last month or the month before, do you think maybe you would consider paying me to do this very work that I've been volunteering and giving over, over the years? And they said, oh my gosh, of course, why didn't you ask, ask this before? And lo and behold, here this man has created this whole wonderful niche where he is totally booked, you know, like a year out in advance at these places. He loves what he's doing. He feels needed and wanted. It's, it's perfect for him because he gets to sing during the day. He's, he's, that means he's, he can have a personal private life at home in the evening, which is nice. So there's an example of how he was able to serendipitously put all that together, and really he is living his purpose. Then, fast forward to March, we had Wade Cottingham on the show, and Wade is an interesting man here in Dallas. He is a piano teacher for mostly children, but some adults as well. But his story is, is he had been schooled as a computer programmer, and had really been, he'd been a DOS computer programmer, for those of you that recognize that time period, and loved it. Um, but when they started getting into the C++ and all that kind of stuff, programming, he said, nope, I'm out. I'm, I'm, I'm going on to something else, going on to my next career. And he started to pursue his love of music and developed a business around teaching kids to play piano in a, in a wonderful, playful way. And I think today he teaches over like 70 kids or so during the year. And then when we consider that work can actually be hazardous to us, that kind of sets us up for the next person I want to talk about, that work can actually make you sick. So in April, we had Nicole Pesur on, and she is schooled as an attorney. She was in New York City practicing law and was doing very well for herself, thank you, and enjoying her work, working with lots of different kinds of people, helping them in their various plights. But the work was literally making her sick. Um, She was literally losing weight and manifesting all different kinds of symptoms, and she was turning to her practice of yoga to get herself out of that. And she said, well, I'm getting better and better. I feel much better. I think I'll actually just make this my living. So she, her show is literally called <laughs> Your Money or Your Life. And so she's an example of somebody who turned a bit toward one of, her, one of her hobbies that she was using to basically self-medicate to be able to do her work and change careers mid-course. And she's here in Dallas now, by the way. Great classes she teaches. Now moving on to something um, more fun and bubbly for the, for the end of the year, the occasion. In May, I had Jacob and Lindsay Sloan come on the show, and they talked about their passion for suds that being in the beer variety. So these young people, I think they're like 29 and 30, something like that, youngsters, um, have had a, a love of, of making beer for years. And they said, gosh, you know, when it gets to the point when we have so many things, so many bottles laying around that we can, we can no longer give it away, it's literally taking over our storage closets, I guess it's time to open a, a brewery. So they have a place called On Rotation Brewery and Tap Room here in Dallas, 
And what I appreciate about them is, one, they've, again, taken a hobby that they've loved over the years, but they're both here, get this, wait for it, both of these people still keep full-time corporate jobs. So, I mean, it's just brilliant. They're doing this so smart. So they work full-time at their jobs. That keeps money coming in. They're, they've got a, a family member helping them build and run the business as well. When they can't be there during the day, then they come in at night. So they're being very smart about their approach to develop this business and hope to one day be able to transition to it full-time. But such a smart way to develop your abilities as you keep your other jobs. And a couple more examples here, if, I, if you'll indulge me. Um, I had an interesting man on in July. His name is Blaine Wright, and he is a professional racehorse trainer. He works between Washington and California states. And what's cool about his story is that he's a guy who really didn't love, ever love school, never was very good at it. And, you know, they wondered, what is this guy going to do for himself? How is he going to make it in the world? But he did do one thing really, really well, and that was relate to horses. He grew up working with horses with his family. That was their business. And here's a guy who's made a very, very successful business over the years out of training about 65 racehorses a year between those two states. Um, and the other thing to emphasize about that is being true to this passion wasn't always easy for him. I mean, he had to work other jobs along the way to pay the bills, and it didn't always work for him to be able to rely on this this passion of his, but he didn't want to give it up. So he's really worked hard, and today he really does work about seven days a week to be able to keep at that work. So it hasn't come easily to him, but it's worth his while. And then I think it was in October, maybe it was August, I can't remember exactly when, I had the occasion to interview this wonderful young man named Gavin Doyle, who's 17 years old, not even out of high school yet, out of California, and, and has founded a couple of websites, one of which is a, one called Disney Dose. And so this is a guy who, at age four, fell in love with Disneyland because he went to Main Street USA with his family. And just from then on, he said, this, I love this stuff. Let me make a business out of this. Let me create websites. Let me learn everything I can about it. And so his website today features podcasts with interviews with Imagineers and various information about Disney, and he has a book out already. And again, remember, folks, he's not even out of high school yet. So amazing what can happen when you as a youngster are, are encouraged and allowed to be able to find and follow your passions, your dreams, and your parents encourage that and help you give resources and ideas about how to develop it. So some, some really great um, examples of, of how people have emerged as, as entrepreneurs and why. So a couple things there about, about um, that I want to say about the, the, this idea of multiple income streams. When you think about these entrepreneurs, one of the things that, that we're hearing these days, um, and I just saw before I came on this call today for this radio show, it was interesting, I was on Twitter, and there's a gentleman on Twitter by the name of Clifton Weddington that said the average millionaire, now that's a millionaire, that, maybe that's not me or us or some of us, but the average millionaire has seven streams of income. Pretty interesting. So when you think about that, there's a couple reasons that might actually happen. One is driven just simply by the idea that you are building this non-traditional career path. There's actually a, a nice new book out by Ron Elsden called How to Build a Non-Traditional Career Path, Embracing Economic Disruption. And he gets into why, when, and how to create an insp inspiring and practical non-traditional career path from more than one source of income. But you might know, I mean, think about this. So one of the reasons that people might do that is because they just want to satisfy various things they love to do. 
So in the research that I've done as a meaning work researcher, I encountered a woman who is principally a massage therapist. But, oh, that's not enough. She also makes jewelry because she loves jewelry. And she is a watercolor artist, and she also distributes products for a, a very large company. She does all those things because together they really satisfy her. Alone, independently, they probably wouldn't, but together they do. And then I met another woman who is a dentist, entrepreneur, and artist, and she needs all three of those things, too, to make her world work for her. And then finally, I want to just say, for me, I kind of fall into that camp. I I am uh, an entrepreneur myself, and what do I do? I have these various streams of income that I use to... And part of it really is for me to satisfy all of my longings, too, but I do corporate workshops, which we'll talk about here a little bit later in the hour. Um, I do individual coaching. I teach at Southern Methodist University. I'm a a researcher. I speak. Um, I do all different kinds of things around individual family kind of coaching. And all these things together make it work for me. So this whole discussion has been around the idea of, of why is entrepreneurship becoming more and more the norm? who's doing it and why, and, and why there, there seems to be a trend for this idea of relying on multiple streams of income to pull it off. So we, that was my first statement that I wanted to talk about here. Um, I, let me remind you that I'm Elise Cortez, your host, and we've been talking about this increasing trend towards self-employment and, again, the various streams of income to pull it off. After the break, which is coming up here next, I want to focus on the idea of androgyny, and I'll say more about that, and how it manifests in the changing roles men and women are playing at work and at home. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. 
If you're just joining us, we're doing a special end-of-the-year reflection on some of the key trends that affect how people experience work. And before the break, we talked about the increasing trend towards self-employment and the additional side gigs that many people actually will, will pick up and the increasing tendency of people to pursue various income opportunities to, to pull that lifestyle off. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. Next, I want to get into this idea of androgyny and how the roles of men and women are changing both at home and at work. So to kick us off for this part of the show, what I want to do is just cue you up that I want to talk about an article that I read here in the Dallas Morning News by Richard Reeves and Isabel Sawhill. They are both from the Brookings Institution in Washington. And when I read this this article, I think it came out December 6th, something like that, and it's called, so the, the title is, is a little bit, um, doesn't really encapsulate all that it's about, but the title is called Men Step Into Women's Shoes. Um, so that's the title of the article. But the reason I wanted to talk about it is because it, it talks about so many important things that impact both work and how we experience it and who's stepping up for what kind of work and how that impacts what happens at home. So um, first, let me say that as we get into this here, if you've never heard the word androgyny, it's a fun word. I've been very, very focused and interested on this idea for years now. But really, androgyny for me, and how we're going to talk about it in this part of the show, is, is, the, is this idea of it being a combination of masculine and feminine characteristics. So imagine, you know, when, I'm sure you've all met people who embody both what we tend to think of as traditional male and female characteristics. So maybe they're both really strong in their ability to argue their points, but they can also at the same time, you know, pick up a, a, an injured animal and, and cuddle it and take care of it. They have a tremendous ability to be both incredibly logical and rational, but also incredibly creative as well. So that's the idea of those two traditionally opposing um, characteristics coming together in one form. That's the idea of androgyny. So let me read, if I can, a couple of the first little bits here from that article to kick us off. So this is what Richard Reeves and Isabel Sawhill say to begin the article. So far, the gender revolution has, seen, has been a one-sided effort. Women have entered previously male precincts of economic and political life, and for the most part, they have succeeded. They can lead companies, fly fighter jets, and even run for president. But along the way, something crucial has been left out. We have not pushed hard enough to put men in traditionally pink-colored roles. That is where our priorities should lie now. This is not just about gender equality. The stakes are even higher. The jobs that men used to do are gone or going fast, and families need two engaged parents to share the task of raising children. As painful as it may be, men need to adapt to what a modern economy and family life demand. So before we get too far down this and people are, are jumping, off, <laughs> jumping off the show, please understand that we're going to talk about this from both vantage points. This is not definitely just, geez, men need to do this and change, et cetera, et cetera. But I really want to talk about some of these really interesting trends coming along that I think are really important for all of us to understand, both men and women. So when you think about this here, um, this idea that we as a society are moving toward where women can and, and need to be free to pursue more, traditional, more traditionally masculine roles, like we've described, leading companies, et cetera. And at the same time, that means that men can also be liberated to live lives that were traditionally not condoned for them, not available to them. That is, that they, they were socially encouraged to be the principal breadwinners, be the strong men everyone can depend on and count on, and could not really show their true feelings or pursue really more of their, their strong interests. And so what I'm interested in, the reason I care about this so much, is that I would like both genders to be liberated. I would like women to be able to pursue those traditional masculine jobs 
and for men to be able to do the same. I, I can tell you I could think of a couple of men that I've met over the years who would love to be history professors but don't because they can't make enough money to support their family solely. So that's an example of how if we can get our hands around, get our arms around this idea of how our, our society is changing and embrace it rather than fight it, that we might actually all win in this deal. So when you think about it here, um, one of the things this article talks about that I think is really interesting is that think about education for just a moment here. I mean, girls have, have overtaken boys at every stage of education with higher grades from the early years through high school and college, and men are actually now the minority on college campuses, accounting for about 42% of graduates. This is, again, according to the article, and I have seen this myself borne out in the, the work that I do as a professor at SMU. Um, lots more girls walking around campus these days than, than boys, than guys. So we're already seeing women gaining in, in terms of the educational front. So that's, that's, that's cascading into their ability to get um, higher-paying jobs oftentimes and, and more technical kinds of jobs. So when you think about that, that's pretty interesting. Um, and so then we get into this idea here, which I also think is quite fascinating of how they treat this in the article, is this idea of STEM versus heel jobs. And so what we mean by that is, so there's been a big push to, to get girls and women into jobs that require STEM skills. And remember that science, technology, engineering, and math. And so you do see more and more women and more girls, you know, looking at, you know, astronomy, astrology, all those kinds of going to the moon, you know, going to space. It's just fascinating and wonderful. Being, being engineers, being scientists, all those things. And that's great and wonderful. Um, at, the time, at the same time, though, there's this notion of what about those heel jobs? And heel jobs are going to really get into uh, health care, education, administration, and literacy. And so when you think about that, right now, most of, many of those jobs are, are still taken by women. Um, and when you think about it, it says men make up only 20% of elementary and middle school teachers, um, 9% of nurses, 16% of personal care aides, and 6% of personal assistants. So and you, when you also consider there's no legal obstacles for men to become school teachers or nurses, so this is just a matter of culture and society and, again, things that we can actually impact and do something about. Um, so I like the idea that there's room for those things to change. And I do know some terrific male nurses, by the way, some fantastic male teachers. And also, in fact, in, in I think it's February, I'll have on my show uh, a woman who is working on a space program, and she's, she's amazing. Um, I'm going to have her on, I think, early February. So she's an example of one of those women working in the STEM fields. Um, so... When you think about it here, um, I think there's good news for everybody in this because with women assuming more traditionally male jobs and, and often being, you know, the principal or only breadwinner at home. So according to the article, women primary breadwinners um, are 40 percent at homes with children under under 18. Um, so what that means is that if women are primary breadwinners in many homes, that means that men can pursue other other work that doesn't require them to be principal breadwinners. I think that's I hope that's encouraging. Again, I, I when I was doing my research, I interviewed 115 men and women across 20 different professions, and so many of those people said, "Gosh, I would love to go and do something. I'd love to be an artist. I'd love to go and do something that allowed me to be able to teach." But I'm not doing that because I'm the principal breadwinner. So I'm hoping that what you're hearing out there, men, is that. This is a chance for you to be able to do some of that kind of work that maybe would be interesting to you with, with maybe not the big paycheck and the big status, per se, yet, um, but would really fulfill your soul. I hope that you find that interesting. And women, 
those of you that really do want that role where you're out there, you're the chief breadwinner, or maybe it's in business or law, as we're tending to see more and more of, that you will still go after that. And so I, I think that when you think about how does this impact families, right? How do we, how does this cascade to the to the home front? Um, what what I find interesting that's also been very much written about in various other places is this notion that, and the, that's hence the name of the, of the article, "Men Step Into Women's Shoes." Um, they mean that both in the in the work sense, in terms of the kinds of work that men might choose to do. Um, I think that's interesting. The idea of what they call it, pink collar jobs. Um, I think that's very, very interesting. But when you think about what's happening at, at home, the domestic front here, of what the kind of work that gets done and how that work is shared. So according to the article, it says men are doing some more child care, 7.3 hours per week in 2011, compared with 2.6 hours in 1985. So a nice increase there. But there has been no increase and, in fact, a slight decline in their contribution to housework. So there needs to be a faster progress toward a more equal division of domestic labor. And we do see that in that um, you see reports and research around women talking about, okay, I love being in, in the workforce, love my, my role out there. But, gosh, when I come home, I'm still expected to make all the meals, clean, clean all the dishes, do all the laundry, and keep, it, keep the house tidy and, do the, and, and make sure that you know, the kids are getting off to soccer, et cetera. So <laughs> I have to tell a quick story really quick along those lines. I can't resist this. I, can, I remember when I was doing a lot of work out in San, uh, uh, Los Angeles, excuse me, doing workshops, and I was talking about how when um, I would get on the airplane, just before I go on the airplane, I should say, I would go through this ritual where I clean the whole entire house. It's just beautiful. All the laundry's done. The kitchen is gorgeous. Every single last dish is done. Beautiful, gorgeous. And I would come home two to five days later, and literally I would get to the airport. <laughs> and I would immediately start thinking about what I was going to find when I got home. And so I would immediately start getting my, my blood pressure going up because I would be envisioning this scenario that it, I usually would find there in the beginning anyway. And that is that I would come through the front door, immediately go to the kitchen, and there would literally be my husband and daughter's dishes that they have um, created and left during the course of my time away, which would cause me to be very angry and feel very disrespected, et cetera, et cetera, because I thought, well, let me get this straight. I've got to be out and about working on the road. Um, I'm eating in restaurants, which is nice and fine. I enjoy that. But now when I come home, I have to clean up the stuff that you created and left behind. You're kidding me, right? And so I would tell my workshop participants this stuff, and it would be so interesting because some of the guys would be like, well, wait a minute, what's wrong with that? <laughs> And the women would be like, oh, that's terrible. You let them get away with that. And so I was, now mind you, the classes that I was teaching back then were around communication and actually, you know, crucial conversations for that matter, I will tell you, was fascinating. So it was a really perfect fodder for the, the way that people communicate and their expectations as to what would happen on the home front. And honestly, guys, it wasn't until I started telling my husband that even the men in the workshop found that to be reprehensible, that, you know, it was inconsiderate. <laughs> When I was able to report that back to him, he was able to start to consider that there may be another way to consider this. This maybe isn't the right thing. And so I will, I'm happy to report there has been a change. And now when I, I go away and, and I come back, um, if, the, if the house is not clean and the dishes are not done, what I find is this nice little cute little post-it note next to the sink that says, I will do the dishes in the morning. Please, please know that they will be done without you. <laughs> so we call that progress. But the point being is that 
as we move together, as we, as we move forward as a society, it's just so important that we consider this notion that um, our roles in the marketplace as well as at home are changing, and that's okay for both people. And in fact, it's actually, it should be, hopefully, um, encouraging for all parties here. Now, moreover, let me go a little bit deeper on that front here. The, the article also does talk about this notion of, of how um, marriages maybe even change. So they go into this idea, it says, but the idea that men will be the senior part in, partner in a marriage is, is no longer realistic. Soon there will be as many successful women as men. This means men need to get used to the idea of marrying up and women the idea of perhaps ma- marrying down. Now, this seems to be happening to some extent already. In 2012, 27% of newlywed men married up educationally. Now, if you stop and think about that for just a second, I know you can, you can think of someone that you know in your, in your um, society, your, your circle, where maybe the woman is maybe the principal breadwinner, or maybe she has a little more education than, than the gent does, um, and they're doing just fine, thank you very much. Right? They're happy, they're well, and they've found a, an equal way to be able to split their duties, and everybody's happy. So... It's one of those sort of things that I'm, I recognize that some of you who are listening to this might be feeling the, the hair on the back of your neck standing up just a little bit, like this is maybe, um, maybe not intimidating, but maybe just not quite the information that you're hoping to get from me. But I think it's just so important to talk about. And I do think that um, whether we like it or not, it, it is what's happening in terms of our society. This is how we're evolving as a, as a society. And I think, it, I think it's healthy for everyone. Um, it means then that each of us have some things to give up, but going back to that earlier, that earlier definition of, um, you know, what is androgyny, the idea of combining traditionally masculine and feminine characters into one person that I think maybe is, you know, incredibly effective and perhaps quite healthy in that way. Um, I think it gives us something to shoot for. And it's been something that I've been focused on for quite some time, um, so if you think about this idea of, you know, the, the cultural turbulence that we've been through over the last several years, thinking about, you know, our religious life, our religious liberties, how we educate our children, um, so many people are looking for more flexibility in how they actually do their work. They want to go to work and be able to um, jet off to the doctor's appointment if they need to without having to get a written note from, you know, from their doctor to give to their employer. So they're looking for that flexibility. There's, there's, and the incorporation of domestic life into professional life is happening as well, and vice versa. And, and so, for me, when I considered, when I looked at this article, I thought, oh, this is, this is like perfect, right up my alley for the kind of thing that I want to talk about, in terms of when you think about identity. So, if you might remember, one of my big passions is is identity, how we think about ourselves and what that means about how we think we should behave, who we should become, all those kinds of things. So it, it all smacks right down the middle of it for me. But also the notion of how, how it is that we do experience our work. Um, a lot of people are looking for that kind of connection to their work life that is satisfying and meaningful. And um, I feel like if we can find a way to be able to embrace this, then it, that we just may find that um, we have some, some positive, positive way forward here. So one other thing that I that I wanted to also talk about here that it's also written written in the article that I think is maybe a little bit fun here. They have, I think they had fun with this part of it. It says um, <laughs> more men ought to be doing what women did historically, and that is improving their economic prospects by marrying well. With apologies to Jane Austen, even a man who is not in possession of a fortune will still be in want of a wife, ideally one who has a fortune of her own. <laughs> 
So um, it goes and it says here, it says, the problem is that many men and women disoriented by the shakeup of gender roles are not marrying at all. So less educated adults especially resulting in a class-based marriage gap. Marriage rates among men under 35 have dropped 23 percentage points since 1980. So that's a big drop. So this is definitely affecting how people are choosing to go forward. So, you know, the idea being that whether or not you ever want to actually get married, that's one thing. But the last thing I really want to get across to you for this segment is the notion of being open to both the genders pursuing non-traditional kinds of work and that both genders are really able and open to be able to consider um, what their role is and how they're contributing, ideally quite equitably, on the domestic front. And that means both in terms of taking care of the home as well as any children that might be living in it as well. And the other thing I would certainly say, too, is that this certainly goes for, you know, not just male and female uh, partnerships. Um, you know, whether whether you're in a homosexual reunion, whatever that might be, there's ways to be able to share the load here that would be more equitable equitable than we've been doing in the past. So that's just a little bit that I wanted to say about this idea of, of androgyny and how the, the, the gender roles are playing out there in the workplace and how it cascades to what happens on the home front domestically. So hopefully you got some new ideas out of that here. Let's go into a, a quick break if we can here. I'm Elise Cortez, Welcome, and you've been listening to the Working on Purpose radio show here. We have been talking about the evolution of gender roles at work and at home and how this, what this might mean for a way forward here for us. After the break, I want to talk more about those three key trends that I talked about at the beginning of the show that were identified by the Deloitte's 2015 Global Human Capital Trends Report. Um, they get into the softer areas of leadership, development, and culture and engagement. Stay with us. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. 
Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose program. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. If you're just joining us, we're doing a special end-of-the-year commentary on some key trends that affect how people experience work and really what it means to their overall lives. Before the break, we were talking about how men's and women's roles are changing at work and at home and what we can do to support more of those changes in the future. In this next and final segment, let's talk about three of the ten key trends in Deloitte's 2015 Global Human Capital Trends Report. These, by the way, are the top three or four um, that they identified as being really, really important. And the reason I wanted to talk about them is, one, they are important, but two, all three of these trends are, are areas that impact and really elucidate the work that I do. So it lets me be able to comment um, from the field how what I'm seeing happening on those th- in terms of those three trends and, and what I do in terms of work to be able to try to address them. So that's the reason I want to talk about them, kind of bring what I've learned from the road to those three trends. So one of the things that they, they talk about here in, in the article is, is Deloitte says, every program in human resources must address issues of culture and engagement, and that is how we lead, how we manage, how we develop, and how we inspire people. Without strong engagement and a positive, meaningful work environment, people will disengage and look elsewhere for work. Now, one of the things that I find interesting is that I think the latest uh, unemployment number is somewhere in the 5 percentage range, which means that people generally have choices as to where they go, right? They hang on to their jobs when unemployment is a little bit higher, and they start feeling more comfortable and confident to seek other other employment when it starts to, to get dipped down at those lower numbers. So here we are in that place. And so what we're starting to see, and this is what the trends reported in this particular article, uh, is that it's important for companies to be able to address those three things. So I'm going to talk about them individually and kind of what it what they mean and what my perspective has been on, on, on how they play out for the work that I do. So the first one is leadership, and that being the perennial issue, if you will. And, and, the, and the, this, these trends have, have indicated that and more and more companies are recognizing that they need they need to do more to develop that leadership. That it's actually it's they're finding that it's not existing to the level that it needs to be for them to be effective. Um, and so when you think about what does a leader do, right? So leaders really set the vision for the work to be done, and that ideally encourages motivation, engagement, and persistent work effort through challenges. So when you think about who is a great leader in your life. Um, I, hopefully it's somebody, when we say great, that should be the, the indicator. Hopefully this is somebody who really, that you wanted to maybe emulate, somebody who, who showed you the way of what you might like to be or how the work could be done um, and, and, and was, was inspirational to you. And think about what that does for your energy level, for your commitment, all those kinds of things. Um, I just, I'm, I'm amazed that when you think about it and you see a really great leader at work and how effective and powerful that person is, and then you happen to see, you get one that maybe is either in the wrong place or maybe doesn't hasn't developed the skills yet um, or whatever for whatever the reason is, and they just are really not effective at all in fact they they cause more harm than than they do good so what I think is really important about this is and the other thing that, that leaders do is they certainly do, they applaud great work, and, and that's something that, of course, most people really crave. They want to be recognized, um, whether that's publicly or whether that's individually on their own. Most people want to know that, that, they're, that they are valued. And when you think about that again for just a moment, and people who, who feel valued often add value, right? So think about that again. So when somebody feels valued, they add value. 
And that is, again, something that a leader can do in the way that they create culture, they set up the, the, the processes, procedures, all those things that, that might um, come through their hands or, their, or through their vision. And, and so for me, um, I've certainly had the, the distinct pleasure over the years of being able to work with various companies on their, their leadership development initiatives. Um, and when you think about it, an organization that is not really developing their leaders well is definitely at a competitive disadvantage in our global marketplace. Um, and what we're seeing now, and this is one of the trends that Deloitte has identified, is we are starting to see that the that this leadership um, gap is problematic for organizations. I think it was identified as the number one trend in terms of human capital needs is to is to be able to address and develop this leadership within organizations. So I wanted to share a couple of things that I have been able to to be part of or witness with regard to leadership development because I think it showcases why it's important, and how it can actually impact positively an organization. And before I say that, let me, let me certainly recognize that in, in, in the last several, several years or decade plus that we've been struggling economically, I know that many organizations have thought, how can I possibly spend money on development? I'm just trying to pay the bills, for gosh sakes, and I get that. And so when you think about it, there are lots of ways that, that, that organizations can still address development and we're going to get to that in our second example here, um, it, it's worth doing. There's a dividend for it. So one of the organizations that I worked with that was really, really uh, has been amazing, this is an organization that works on a global basis. And what they, what they wanted to do is they wanted to be able to equip all of their supervisors and managers across the world, uh, get that, across the world, not a, not a city, not a state, not a region, but across the world, with abilities to be able to lead their people. And so what they have done is they have rolled out this program that I've, again, gotten to be part of here to help facilitate and deliver. And the idea is is that um, they wanted to be able to, they've got a program set up for supervisors, which maybe are brand new at leading, and they've got a, a program for more experienced managers. And there's a little something in there for each of them that's different, of course. And so imagine, I know we've all had the the, the experience of working for somebody who was a brand new leader and maybe didn't quite know all that they maybe should be doing or could be doing and you know they were learning their way so what's really awesome for me is that when I'm in those workshops with those brand new supervisors and they're getting this training many of them are really really excited that they are getting the training they're thinking about how can I use this information how am I going to be able to do things better and they're also scared of course they're like boy there's a lot expected of me and I don't know what I'm doing just yet. I'm having to do more with less like everybody else on the planet. Um, so there is some, some the feeling that their organization is supporting them in their way forward. They're not in this by themselves. It's not just jumping in the frying pan and good luck, let me know how it goes at the end of the year. <laughs> they are actually getting some, some support, and they find that very, very reassuring. It feels like somebody's got their back and somebody's investing in them. Somebody cares. And then when I work with the managers for that program, you know, many of those people have been in leadership roles for 15, 20, 25 years, and they're getting some of the same training but just at a higher level. And and though some of that is stuff that they may have seen before, maybe repackaged, what they often say is it's really important to have a good refresher on this stuff. This this is important for me to be able to engage my team more deeply, um, help them perform at a higher level, institute processes that are going to be more important for them to be able to get their work done in a more efficient fashion, all those kinds of things. And so for this one example that I'm talking about, the, 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 um, 
the leadership development platform is really based on how do they become more effective in the work that they do. So that's one element, the actual work piece of it. Then there's the piece of how do we become more effective at actually engaging and motivating and leading our team. So the team part is the second aspect or the second pillar of it, if you will. And the third part is really a focus on themselves as leaders, so that ongoing important sense of cultivating self-awareness and how am I, how am I being perceived by others? How am I Im- impacting other people? Are they afraid of me? Are they inspired by me? Do they feel like I show them a good way forward? Um, so that notion of being able to be very aware of who you are, how you're leading, what you're bringing to the equation, and also importantly, being able to adapt your style to the situation as required, as needed to, to, to bring effective, good results. Um, so in that particular instance, um, that's, that's an example of an organization that uses um, the Development Dimensions International material that I was, that I was certified in for them. So they, they, have, they have used that as a platform to be able to, to cascade this across their, their team. So that's the example that I wanted to talk about with regard to leadership. Um, I really can't stress enough um, the notion of why this is important for, for organizations. More and more people are coming newly into the ranks of leadership, or maybe they have learned some bad habits of leadership from other companies they've come from, and they are now bringing those to bear in their new, their new, um, their new place of work, which is now your company. So the, I think it's really important that a company establishes what do they want their leaders to do, how they want them to behave, et cetera, and they give them some training to that end. I think that's, that's really important. So the second trend that I wanted to talk about here that, that Deloitte's um, Global Human Capital Trends Report talks about is this, this notion of the importance of learning and development within companies to confront the skills gap. Um, this being an important trend that's been recognized that this must be addressed um, and again, I mentioned before that many companies maybe haven't felt that they had their purse springs, their purse strings open and available to be able to, to contribute to the, the notion of learning and development. And after these years of economic downturn, et cetera, it's, it's been hard. Um, however, what we do see is that companies that do invest in training can see some really rich dividends and in increased engagement, performance, retention. Um, one of the things that is identified for employee engagement is many people want ongoing learning and development. They want to feel like they're growing, that they're not stagnant. Um, and if an organization helps invest in that, then they're more likely to stick around. Um, so if they're learning and growing, they're not, so, they're not so quick to be able to take that call from the recruiter when, they come in, when it comes in. So to that end, I wanted to talk about a, a few things that, that I have experienced out there in, in terms of the, the field and what I've seen organizations do. Um, one of the things that, that I mentioned earlier that I've had the chance to, to work with is the, is the Crucial Conversations uh, workshop developed by Vital Smarts. It's a, it's a two-day workshop. And what I have really enjoyed and loved about seeing that applied in, in the workforce in terms of a learning and development opportunity is um, one company in particular that I had the chance to work with, um, they were really trying to use it to, to change their culture toward a more empowered workforce and to strengthen the ability of their employees to handle tough matters within and across departments. So really embolden them with skills to be able to, to talk about um, tough matters in a, in a productive way. Uh, what we've learned is that right communication is incredibly important. I, I think Brian Tracy s- says that he thinks that something like 80% of a person's success comes from his or her ability to be able to communicate effectively. I would argue that's probably true. When you think about, you know, how, how does somebody who is a leader effectively assume that role? Well, a lot of it's communication. How does he or she convey 
the vision, uh, the, what they want them to accomplish, the mission of the group. How do they, they motivate people? How do they, how do they talk about and encourage and incent performance? Those are all communication abilities. And so, in this particular example that I'm thinking of here with this organization, it, it was so wonderful to be part of it and see what they did in that this is a, an organization that you know, really worked hard at these two days of, of workshops. And then what was also really fun about that was um, going back to the various ways that companies can give their employees to learn, um, had the chance to be able to create a, a gamification platform or to contribute a, a gamification program to be able to, to um, encourage and incent the ongoing use of, of that particular training. So it wasn't a just a two-day, I forgot about it, I left, I'm done, I, it's over with but rather a way for them to engage with the content in an ongoing, fun, but still meaningful fashion in a way that let them you know, earn points and compete with other people within the organization to keep it alive and part of their culture and the way they talked. Um, so that's an example, I think, of an organization that has just really done this well, done this very smart. Um, they also, this particular organization and several of the others that I've had a chance to work with, um, have used um, strengths finders as a way to be able to to, to consider um, some of their culture, et cetera. And we'll get to that here in just a second on our, on our third point. But just a very smart organization that was, this is an example too, I might tell you, of an organization that had very, very strong leadership, right? So these are people that were had strong leadership acumen. They worked at developing it in themselves. They encouraged it in others. They actively sought ways to be able to develop leaders within their team. So it wasn't just, hey, it's all about me, the one person at the top. It's about how can we create a culture where people are incented and motivated to assume uh, greater levels of leadership across the across the team in the organization. Um, another thing that I think organizations we're seeing organizations do a bit more of is uh, I would call it maybe selective corporate co- coaching. Um, so when we see the need for some training, some specific training or help within a specific person on the leadership team, uh, maybe it's high potential who needs specific help with development. Or maybe it's somebody who needs to maybe help overcome their, their habits. That's something else there. So that's an example that I've seen work extremely well as well. And then finally, what I would also say is that that, that third trend around culture and engagement, um, really wonderful to be able to see organizations. I mentioned the idea of using um, StrengthsFinder. I've seen organizations, many organizations, use that as a basis to be able to assess their talent and then to get them to be able to embrace the diversity of those who have different strengths than they do. It is a great way to be able to improve performance, engagement, retention, and frankly, um, encourage you know the embracing, the way to embrace diversity. Um, I think I said this before, but people who feel valued add value. Um, another thing that I've seen recently, and in fact, I recently just myself got certified in Lumina's Spark Assessment. Very excited to see that work with organizations. Great way to be able to work with um, engagement as well as team building. Um, fantastic assessment. Very exciting things that they're doing with that. So those are some examples that I have seen from my experience working in the field around how companies are trying to address leadership, learning and development, and culture and engagement. Those traditionally soft areas, if you will, that maybe get poo-pooed once in a while, but now are seen to be really the driving force of what needs to be addressed to be able to keep our companies competitive. Again, I find that encouraging. I think that's interesting, and I hope you do too. Um, there's a lot for us to learn. We can all con- con- contribute to that, and really we can. there's a lot of ways we can address that without really having to go whole hog 
um, you know, in terms of, you know, killing our budget, et cetera, to be able to address them. Be creative. Find other companies to talk with. Learn what they're doing well, et cetera. Learn from them. Um, there's a lot of information out there from practitioners, from webinars, from SHRM, et cetera, that talk about what companies are doing to be able to address these things. So quickly to recap here, we're, we're getting very, very close to the end of our time together for this, for this reflection moment together. I've enjoyed my time with you and appreciate that you've let me take you down the path of these three things that I wanted to talk about. Um, the first one really being this notion of how we're moving more toward entrepreneurship and supporting ourselves with various means of income streams to be able to pull that off. I think that's fascinating and an ongoing trend we'll see more of. And then the second one being um, the, the idea of um, this notion of androgyny happening in the workplace and at home and how that's affecting and changing up and maybe wreaking havoc, havoc a bit with how people are wanting to embrace their new roles. And I want to encourage you to be open to those new roles and consider how they might actually benefit you. And the last thing, of course, we've been talking about is this notion of these these three trends that, that Deloitte has identified as being important to address, the idea of leadership, um, learning and development, and culture and engagement. Those are all areas that, are, uh, that companies are hungry to be able to address. So I've appreciated being able to share these perspectives. They're important to me. I have so enjoyed my role as being your host. It means that I get to talk with interesting people. And in fact, coming up next week, we will have on the show Siobhan Palmer, who is the co-founder and CEO of Plaid for Women. She's going to talk about her company's mission and all she hopes to do to be able to develop women and bring out their very best amongst themselves and together individually, too. So she'll kick us off for the new year. I hope that you've thought about this and you've considered how you can more meaningfully connect to your own life, your own career. Remember, work is at least one-third of our life, so let's work on purpose. Catch you next week. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.